Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to everybody joining us for this session of African Family Firms, African Family Business Conference. And for this session, we have with us Dr. Peter Mutua. He's one of our founders, and he has been in family business for the longest time. And he is going to be sharing with us his story and his experiences in this space. And we're looking forward to hearing this. And welcome, um, Dr. Mutua, and thank you for making time for us today. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Thank you so much, Siti. I really appreciate it. I'm honored to have been asked to come and speak at a, and, uh, such a forum such as this, Africa-wide. It, it makes me very proud to be able to be here to contribute to such a subject, especially because it's, at, it's very close to my heart in terms of what I feel passionately about and then how I got into family business in the first place and why it is that I became passionate about the whole aspect of family business itself and how family businesses function. So as mentioned, I am Peter Mutua. I am from Kenya. And having been from Kenya, we are a country that has a population of 53 million people. We are, in my view, quite enterprising. We are very aggressive people, but again, very kind and very courteous at the same time. I am from a place called Nakuru. That is where I was born. Nakuru is within the Rift Valley. The Rift Valley runs all the way from Southern Africa through Ethiopia. And it's, it's where I was born. The interesting thing about that is that Nakuru is far away from what would be my native homeland, which is Kambaland. Kambaland would be somewhere in Machakos, so maybe around 300 kilometers away. So I'm not a native, as it were, of Nakuru, if you count nativeness being belonging to the local culture. But I am a Kenyan, and that's one of the things that makes it interesting, that we can be born in any part of the country and we can be assimilated into that part of the country and feel like we are one. But this is something that we're going to have to work on as a country, and I, I imagine it is the same for all other countries. And I say this at a family business forum because my belief and my faith is that the cohesiveness that Africa needs as countries, as communities, because politicians have failed us, as it were, can best be found through family businesses because family businesses have so much more in common and have such long-term planning facilities and, and a mindset of long-term planning that they can overcome the hurdles that typically will bring down politicians. And I'm passionate about this because I believe that for Africa to be stable, family businesses have to come together, have to work together to see what it is that we have in common in order to keep our country stable, that we may provide an environment in which we can operate. So having said that, I came into family business when I was about 14 years old, when my father died. And I say this because, first of all, before he died, we did not even recognize that we're in a family business to start with. For some of you, if, you, if you're from the African setting that I'm from, my father was a generation born between 1930 and 1940. That generation happened to reach maturity at independence. And when they reached maturity, they were the first ones to get the jobs as Kenya was Africanizing. So the Europeans were leaving the country, leaving a lot of jobs. So very many of them came into those positions at a very young age. So you find that 
the people of my father's generation were in very senior positions in the late 20s and early 30s to the extent that my own father was a head of a, a, a provincial police unit in his 30s in his early 30s and he he came to head a department within government in his mid 40s and because of that and because they tended to stay in those departments for a long time and then after that tend to stay within government powerful positions after that they both accumulate had opportunities to accumulate a lot of wealth and then to protect it even after they retired so there's a generation in my country of about 10,000 who were born between 1930 and 1940 plus or minus 2 or 3 years who are now passing on and it's really important for us to understand this because it represents both a threat and an opportunity and polygamy and religion are factors in that and I'll come and explain why it is that these are factors based on my experience so when i was 14 my father died now my father died when at a young fairly young age he was 54 years old i don't even think he was yet 54 so he was still in office when he passed away and you can tell that that was not the plan it wasn't supposed to happen like that and one of the things that now startled us in addition to him dying was the fact that he had a mistress and i know we talk about polygamy and for all intents and purposes the polygamy here is wide in terms of having many multiple relationships with children or with or without children so we're not strictly talking about formally i want you to understand that it's a multiple relationships that we're talking about so we discovered that he had another family mistress and he had children and the children were fairly fairly young i think maybe the oldest at that time was maybe 4 or 5 years old and the youngest was a year old and in other cases very interesting to secure the interests of the family normally what will happen i don't know about africa why let me talk about kenya is that you will create if you if you're unsure about where you fit in a family if you're unsure about if you've been included in the will or not the first course of action is for you to contest the matters to try and stop either stop the burial or put in processes in place to put in in the court to to attempt to stall the situation so that you can get secure your rights first before the person is buried and that's that didn't happen in our case it so happened that because my father was in office he had fairly powerful friends they were able to put that to the side they were able to family come down and say this is not going to happen to our colleague they didn't want him embarrassed in that sense that we we will determine these things thereafter so we went ahead and the burial was carried out but even after the burial was carried out then the process began now even before i go into that one of the things that i have found from my experience now in retrospect because again you need to consider that my father died long before his peers his peers are dying now in their 80s so i can see this we 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 are 35 years ahead of the cycle as it were that i'm now watching these things unfolding live as i watch it with the people who i know and who are now beginning to experience a situation that we went through in the 50s and one of my challenges about relationships like this is even where the conflict begins and the conflict in my view very often and i say this as a consultant in family business begins even at the point of planning a funeral at the point of planning who is mentioned within the obituary it's normally a very painful point because now on one side the family the, the real family i put that in quotes wants to take ownership over the particular individual who has passed on and they want to own him 
or it's not not normally her. It's they want to own him for themselves. And the other family, and this is interesting because the way it normally starts out, it doesn't normally start out as a contest for property. It normally starts out as a contest for identity. And it took me more than 20, 25 years to begin to understand that there's a distinction between property and identity. And I didn't know that. I didn't know how important identity was until I began to do my doctoral studies. And we took it as a subject. We were looking, analyzing some of the conflicts that have gone on in Africa, some of the it, the ingrained conflicts, the conflicts have, are so, they're so inbuilt into the communities that you, they have no, they have no superficial solution. And when you go back and go back and go back, a lot of it is an identity conflict. And I didn't know that. So a lot of it, a lot of the conflicts that you begin to see is a conflict to make sure that I will be recognized as a part of this family. And if not that, then I will be recognized as a product of this particular individual. Who we, were, who we were burying or who has died. Now, we didn't recognize that. And it's very easy to be simplistic and to say that, oh, these people are just greedy and all they want is money. And I say this because had we recognized that very early on, the story would have turned out very differently. But it didn't. And I hope that from retrospect that we're going to have the opportunity to reflect on our own stories and possibly to share so that we don't have to go through the kind of trauma that we went through. So because it was an identity conflict, then it very quickly devolves into a property conflict, which is what happened. And one of the challenges that happened is, that, and this is what I'll say, we didn't know we're in a family business. And because the family business had not been clearly defined. Now, my father was a civil service running businesses on the side. It was a farming business. And you know, you don't think of it as a business. I mean, you have a farm, it has cows, it has dairy production, you have wheat, you have all these kinds of products. We never thought of it as a business. But now when I look at it and I, having studied family businesses, that was a family business. He owned property and he was running, turning rent from it. It was a business. He was running a family business. It wasn't formal as it was. It looked like some sort of side hustle, but there it was. So having said that, we got into this situation where the conflict quickly devolved. And what happens with a conflict like this one is that people now are forced to take sides. And this is the number one problem with a family business conflict that involves a polygamous setting because what happens is that the family necessarily divides. Once you cannot agree on the issue about identity, we divide. And once you divide, it's it's interesting because it doesn't necessarily take the members of the new this nuclear family, put them on one side and the other nuclear family put them on the other side. There's a, a little bit of crossover to start with. And then there's all the relatives who are around you who will come in and take sides. And once that polarization happens, then you have a, a, a conflict that now begins to grow roots and then a point reaches, which reached for us, where the conflict begins to self-sustain. That it, you have a conflict that now begins to, it, it has its own fire, it has its own engine, it has its own, it, it moves forward uncontrolled. And it's so toxic that some many of the relationships that broke down at that point, and they're talking about 35 years ago, are still broken even now, till today. And it's really sad because one of the things that you realize as an African is that it's very difficult for you to live outside a community setting. I didn't know how much I needed relatives until maybe a few years later, and I'll come to that part. But you need the people around you. You need people. You, you need as many people around you. you. You don't want to be the one polarizing the situation. But long and short of it, we went to court, and after three years, the court made a determination. And the determination was generally what we had known all along. 
which is another thing about the political setting that you can't deny all you want whether and, and a lot of it now was a about protecting my dad's good name as it were because we know we could not imagine oh my goodness how how a good man like Ruben can go and do things like this how can that happen no it cannot be true it cannot be true and we recruited people to come and say no that cannot happen it cannot never have been him it was a mistake but at the end of the day and I was telling my brothers and sisters if you were to line up my step siblings with I and mix us together you wouldn't know who is from which family and even worse I think I have siblings who have since passed on I can see the traits of some of my siblings who have passed on in my step siblings I can see them I can see their faces I can see it in their eyes I can see it in their smiles see them right there they are us and we are them so the court established that but now then became the problem how do you deal with it so now that they've been told, we we had a situation in which my father had left a will but the will was not specific about all the property so we are left with the situation 3 years later where the question is so how do you distribute this part of it is wills part of it is what not so in my mother's opinion what she owed the other woman and this is again in quotes was school fees for her children and maintenance for them and that's about it and she was adamant about wanting to enforce that involving the public trustee and saying i'm going to give you this amount of money you go and take care of this problem i don't want to see it again <clears throat> and i told you again and i keep saying that there is an identity issue here it's not just about money it's not just about money there's an identity issue and that that lelo so it it so happened that we, she was living in a property that my father had bought but registered in one of my brother's names and she was willing the, the she willing to just let it slide and let it go like that for a few years i don't biding her time or just maybe sorting us because it's also emotionally draining for you to to go through an episode like that and the children like i told you were fairly small so i don't think maybe she felt she didn't want to get into this level of conflict at that point so she let it slide until a point which then my brother decided to sell the house that she was living in these are the other things that we need to keep discussing as as a family because there are some <clears throat> actions that you will take which serve your interests yes but have the impact of exacerbating a conflict unnecessarily so you find that you can take an action and things were fairly calm you can take one action that escalates everything so rapidly that you begin to create a crisis that affects everyone else and it was unfortunate because then at that point then my mom happened to be unwell and so we got under pressure again because we had to go back to court with a demand made for an immediate distribution of estate and it's which is the other thing that we need to understand that these some of these things are tied to our health unfortunately whether we like it or not and i say this because every time we mention the distribution process every time every time i remember i'd go to my mom and tell her about the story that we need to deal with and you know you're in court so you don't have a choice every time i told my mom about that story i could almost time the asthmatic attack and that almost it took me two or three iterations to begin to understand that every time i brought that subject up to my mom no matter how good a mood i found her in you could almost time it to the minute that in 30 minutes you'd be in an emergency center and you'd in another 30 minutes you'd be intubated and in the icu 
And after the second time, then I began to correlate that this this kind of stress has this kind of health outcome, and it's 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 tragedy. So it became that that every time that, that issue would come up in court, then you have to make a decision: Do I have it? Do we have enough money to to attend to the hospital bills that will arise from this broaching this subject? And you know, you can't ignore it; you can't push it aside. And the unfortunate part is that my my mom died a few years, sixteen years after my my father passed on. And if if the cause of death were to be written, obviously there was there's a medical cause of death, but she just died of sadness. The sadness of having to share what she believed she had earned with her with her husband, with an imposter. Now that that and that you can park that a little bit and, and begin to unpack it a little bit in the sense that she she you you can be entitled. I mean, you're entitled to feel that way. She had they had been married by the time my dad got into their family. They'd be married maybe 21 years. They had accumulated a lot of property before that. They've done they've done a lot of things, and she had sacrificed her own career in terms of being having to move around the country to support him because he was in government, and she moved around the country with him to support him. And you, in our family, we are born in different towns. Like now, the town I was born is Nakuru. But my other my other siblings have been born in different parts of the country, and she facilitated that. So she felt that she had been called upon to sacrifice, and it was very painful for her to to have to share this. She took it very personally, and in the end, she just gave up and died. And it it, it was really sad. Now, when that happens, then <clears throat> you're left with a dilemma. What do you do? And we had a, a lawyer. I have, I'm very fortunate. We had we have a very good lawyer. His name is Kamoto, and Kamoto sat with me at one point. I had briefly introduced him to my mom. Kamoto goes to go used to at that point to go to the same church with me, and we taught Sunday school together. So when I told him the story, I told him the whole story. You know, Kamoto just sat and he asked me, "Now, Peter, if you are those children, how do you want to be treated?" Now, that's a very interesting question because then it forces you to come to the realization that one, these children did not choose to be born into that situation. Number two, <laughs> they are my father's children. At the end of the day, whatever it is, forget what I feel about it. Whatever, forget what what I feel, what the, the kind of, of of pride I wanted to take in my father for that matter, or whatever it is. They are my father's children. And number three, because they are my father's children, they inherently have the same rights as I do when it comes to our father's things, especially what had not been willed. Because what he had willed, he had he'd willed very specifically by name. The other things that he did not will. So you're left with dilemma. And in my heart, then I felt, okay, these are my brothers and sisters. But it's one thing to believe that in your heart, and another thing to send that to your family members. It's a very different conversation. And it's interesting because what you find is that people feel very differently about the same situation within a family. You find some are willing to let it go and others will hold on to that passionately and any compromise will appear to them to be the changing of sides, that you're taking the sides of the other person. And it was a very difficult sale to make my family and it took a long time but eventually we came to that place because again conflict is tiring 
it's tiring and then it's it's wasteful of your energy both emotional and physical energy and it's wasteful of your time i keep saying that had i invested the amount of time i have invested in our conflict because ours is still going on in the sense that you we still have a lot of things that we still need to resolve when i look at my peers who have not had this kind of baggage they've been able to make a lot of progress but again who am i to say that hey, i'm i'm not god i don't know what would have happened if, if if things would have gone any differently so i'm not sure but it's it's a drain emotionally it is a drain in terms of your time and it's a drain in terms of energy but eventually we got to that place and we began to restructure the distribution process in such a way that there was some property that could be liquidated which we did and we distributed equally and the best thing about an equal distribution at that point is that it's it's almost it's, it's as a worst case scenario it works and i say this because when i again i took up my studies in family business and i went and interacted with other family businesses in other countries then you begin to discover that equal is not necessarily fair and fair is not necessarily equal they're not synonymous equal is not equal to fair that the fact that you have an estate and you get it equal into nine portions doesn't mean that you've <clears throat> you've given your nine children an equal share as it were because one of the things that they mentioned was this that children would rather have a rationale for distribution than just a portion an equal portion if they understood the rationale as to why the distribution process is being undertaken in a certain way they are able to absorb inequalities in the distribution process for instance you have a five bedroom house on one hand you have a one bedroom house five bedroom house in a very up up market urban area and you have a one bedroom up house in a very uh, no not around a, a fairly run down area you can come to your children and tell them okay you i know you and because i know you and i know that you have children and you tend to be responsible i'll give you the five bedroom house because i want you to keep it in trust to educate the grandchildren so it's going to it's yours but in trust for you, you to educate your grandchildren because i know you're not very good with money there it is and you take your more enterprising son and tell him this house in this rundown area this area has huge potential for growth and i know the entrepreneurial capacity to look at it and to convert it into a block of flats that will gain much more that you much so much more transformed than what you're seeing right now that you bring out value that nobody else can ever see it now initially if just for sake of relative relativity that could be worth a million dollars this is worth 100,000 it looks unequal and this is what i've seen happen just by those words this other person who was given the smaller one will go and work hard at it and within a short while a few years you find that it's now worth 10 million dollars and the other still is worth the million that it was at the beginning because the person understood these individual two individuals properly and the conflict that will come from that often is that this other person will say oh you know dad favored you because he gave this other thing and they they forget to include the fact that there was a lot of sweat equity put into this one but that's another story and that's what happens and one of the things that i found parents don't do and don't do well and which presents dilemmas to those of us who are left behind is when they do not resolve those issues among their own children when you have a problematic young person young individual who is likely to be a nuisance to all the rest and you don't resolve that before you go and you leave that grenade unpinned unhinged and you drop it off and then die and then leave us to sort it out that's 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 a huge 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 problem 
that many of us are being left with. And I'm, I'm saying this because now I can see it. I told you, my father's peers are now in the 80s and they're dying. And I can see all manner of those grenades tossed all over the place waiting to explode. So when we got to that place, we were fortunate because then we were able to have a distribution process. You're able to distribute, which is another thing that you, you need. Let me, let me put it in here because Africa generally, we are, we are generally all at the same place. So I expect most of you will have your parents coming in and they, you're dissolving the states at some point very soon. Cash never makes it. Be wary of cash. Cash is not your friend, as it were. If you do not plan for distribution process properly and do, do not imagine that your MBA will sort you out, your MBA will not give you new thoughts, cash will be your undoing. Plan well for any cash injections that are coming in because if you do not, that cash will be, it will finish you, it will die even before you get it. And I'm saying this because I've seen it and I'm saying this because when I look back at the two, that first distribution process, Apart from the a few cows I bought, I can't see anything else that I did with the money. But again, so please be careful about that distributive process. So having come there, then we moved on. So now we're in the place where we're attempting to build relationships with my, my step-siblings. And, and unfortunately, it's not as easy as I'd imagine. I said they look like us, but we have grown up from with very different experiences. And one of the things that I like about a distributive process is that once you distribute whatever it is that, that you shared, people can now come in on a willingness basis, to the willingness to form a relationship. And that's what I'm hoping for at this point. So what did I discover? I discovered three things. When, when I, because it took me a very long time to forgive my father. I told you when he, he passed on when I was 14 years old, it took me till my late 80s to reflect on my father's situation and then to forgive him. It is the other thing that we, we end up carrying because of situations like this. And the forgiveness came when I now encountered, I became him, as it were. I became, I, I, I became older. You've been married for a longer time. And marriage has a way of opening you, <laughs> opening your eyes to some of the difficulties that people encounter in marriage. And when you encountering those difficulties and you begin to understand how it is that an outside influence can be such a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. You know, someone someone is just available, they're just here, they're everything your wife is not. You begin to experience those that sense and then you begin to, to understand what it is, it, what it means to be successful and to feel that there's something missing within your life. And then I, be, I began to think, because I hadn't, I had not really reached a level of success my father had reached. He was extremely successful, I've mentioned to you. I hadn't even arrived there, and I began to feel the pressure. And then I began to understand why it is that this temptation was so real to him and why it is that it was so easy for him to fall into it. But again, the other thing that came up was the issue about the outlook. His outlook as an African. Now, the interesting thing is here that you have this generation that came in and existed in a place in between Christianity and African beliefs. African beliefs push you towards having more children, that the more children you have, the more successful you are. Christianity and the European mindset teaches you to limit the number of children you have in order that it might provide well for them. So by the time he had reached where he was going, he was almost self-actualized. He felt that he had the resources. 
when I now now this is from studying the African mindset. It's not from studying him that had the resources to support many more children. My mother wasn't willing to have those children, so we went and found someone else to have them. Which is another thing that sometimes we need to understand that sometimes the pressure within an African society, an African community, is a pressure of of procreation. That the more children you have, the more prosperous you are. So ideally, if you have all the money in the world, if you have all the power in the world, nothing stops you from having all the children you, you want. And which was the motivation. So you find it's, it, it's an interesting dynamic. I'd never looked at it until I began to read and to study for my dissertation that I began to understand the family setting from that mindset that you are here to procreate, you are here to have many more children and because of having more than many more children then you are successful and you increase the ch chances of them succeeding moving forward. So if I were to look back right now, what, what would I tell my friends who are likely to go through this story because this, this will be, it's not just a Kenyan situation like I've mentioned, we all achieved our countries achieved independence between the 19, late 1950s and early 70s so that generation is now likely to be coming into, they're coming to die. And my generation now, we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s, are now beginning to come to that, into, to inherit and to handle those estates. The first one is to be a little bit more forgiving, even of our parents in terms of if we disagree with polygamy, if we are part of a polygamous situation, that we be more forgiving of the situation that we find ourselves in. That it's not about you. People made decisions and you happen to be the consequence. You happen to fall into the consequences of that decision. That decision had nothing to do with you. To be a little bit more forgiving of yourself in that situation. Number two, to be a little bit more forgiving of the people who you imagine perpetrated this to you. For a very long time, I was very bitter against my step-siblings because what I imagined is that I imagined that our, my dad, was very protective of my dad, preferred them to us that he got them because he somehow didn't like us and he, he didn't think we were good enough. So he went and he got others and I was very bitter towards them because of that. <clears throat> but now I'm realizing that that, that that has nothing to do with anything. But I mean, they're children just like us. I mean, there's, I, there's no need. Like I shouldn't take it out on them. They had no part in this. They <clears throat> had challenges. They had to be kept in secret. They, they had many other problems more than us. But the third one is this. Seek to resolve the issues as quickly as possible. Be willing to let go, even of some of the stuff that you hold dear. The time you waste within a conflict of that kind, especially when you know that this thing is has has it's, there's a likelihood that this was a situation that was existing. Obviously, the others who are going to come and try and impose themselves into a situation, a rich person has died and now they also want to jump in and share in the property. That aside, if you know that this has, it was an existing situation, seek from the point of death, seek to include them. Don't try and keep the legacy to yourself as a way of protecting the reputation of your loved one. Seek to involve them at that point. And it's going to be a difficult decision, a difficult thing to make. Seek to involve them. Seek to, to be fair to them. Treat them the way you'd want to be treated. What would you, if it were you, what would you want done for you? Ask yourself that question. And finally, look for peace. And this is where religion comes in. You know, <laughs> for the longest time, when, when we formed the Africa, the Association for Family Business Enterprises, which is how I came to this particular forum, 
our main obsession was succession. How do we have a succession process for African family businesses that make sure that these businesses don't keep collapsing the way we are seeing? And a lot of it we thought was a factor of color. <clears throat> that the black Africans have a problem with succession. The black ones, Indians don't seem to have that problem. The white people don't seem to have that problem. It seems to be predominantly Indians, Kenyans, Africans. These Africans are black singing and they want to say they had hair. But it's what I discovered during my studies is number one, those are myths. The Asians have as many, if not more, succession problems as us, including, and so do the, the Europeans. And I know this because when I was talking to a European friend of mine who happens to be a neighbor, who's a Kenyan today in the city of France, and we were talking about their succession story, and he told me how disappointed he was with their succession process. And I thought to myself, but you're like three children. How, how can, how possibly can that go wrong? And he said, he was, he, he gave up on that succession process. It was not going the way it was supposed to go. It was disappointing to him in every respect. And he was tired of it and he wanted nothing to do with it. So you discover that the succession problems are not an African issue. It is a human issue. And a lot of it is to do with greed. Which brings me to religion. What happened? It's when I discovered the problem here is not succession because you can have an excellent succession process and then a family that is completely estranged. So the fact that you've managed to keep the business running, but the relationships have died, that business might as well not be alive. You might as well kill the business and keep the family relationships. That's better in my view. And that's when I came to the conclusion that the objective, in my view, now this is, I'm arguing my point based on my studies and based on my experience, that the objective of a family business succession process should not be the succession of a business itself. This is my view. It should be peace. And the kind of peace I'm, not, I'm talking about is not what we strive for as many African countries, which is the absence of conflict. It is what I call, I discovered to be something called management shalom. It's a, a kind of well-being that arises from the experience of having resources managed well for the benefit of all, which means that the family members benefit, the staff who work within it benefit, the community that entrusts with wealth, because we are trustees. We are not just wealthy because God loved us and just began to just pour things on us. We have been entrusted by society with property to manage on their behalf for their benefit. So when you do it properly and we have peace, we have the management shalom that becomes, results in healthy relationships within the family itself, beneficial employee, employee, a beneficial employee atmosphere, and then a transformed society. So if I, when I get it, for me, that, that became the point of religion, that this is what the religious influence seems, seems, seems to take me towards, that it should influence the manner in which I strive to gain peace within the family business and to use the business as a tool to achieve that peace. And what that means is that sometimes you're going to have to let go of, of property, you're going to have to let go of some of money in some cases. And, and, and we have believe, believe that as you let go of those things, because if, if you're like me, <laughs> I'm beginning to get to that place where my mom was, where this thing begins to have consequences, in terms of health consequences, if you hold on to these things, you'll hold on to that $1 million at the expense of your health. It's not worth it. So my thinking is that if we have peace, we have the peace that comes from inside, and then we have the peace we are living with among people, then, and we have it through a succession process. So at the end of the day, when people have gone their separate ways, can look at each other and be, be at peace.
then I think the family business succession process will have succeeded. Thank you very much, Siti, for, for having me. I'm now open for questions. Wow. Um, Dr. Peter, wow. That was such an incredible, incredible sharing. I am sure everybody who was part of this session is sitting there thinking where to start, how to start. You unpacked so many powerful conversations that need to be had on the continent, especially from family businesses, because there's so many of them and they're so critical to the economic future of, of the continent. And I'm, I'm so sure that this conversation is only the beginning of many conversations that people would like to have with you because you really went in and unpacked. So I think, um, let me just read uh, some of the comments we've got here. We've got Ope, who is saying, wow, thank you so much, doctor. We've got Nike, my co-founder, who I will ask to join us on stage just now, just saying thank you so much. That was phenomenal. We've also got uh, Kumbirai, who is saying, wow, this is amazing. Just tells you, we don't know our history. We really need to align. Thank you, doc. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. I think the first question that I would ask for you is now that you're looking at where you are coming from and, and you know your history, obviously, which is in alignment with, with our whole theme for the year is AFF. What do you see or what would you say would be your ideal picture of what you foresee African family businesses starting to do, especially with all these issues that we are unpacking. Like you said, you touched on issues of religion, issues of health and issues of polygamy. And um, I think one of the critical keys that you, you did mention was the fact that polygamy comes from our history where when people had money, especially with men, they thought the best solution is to have more wives. And it worked back in the day. But then with the new economies that were bought and the different conversations that came with them, we started struggling and then trying to unpack them with the legal systems and everything in between and then trying to hide away from these new faiths that were now imposed on us and that we started adopting. Things became more complicated. What do you see happening to us as a continent? And what, do, what would you think would be the right path we need to take as we start on this journey? That's a fantastic question. I've been waiting, waiting, hoping and praying that you'd ask a question like that. Here's the thing. <laughs> the challenge with us, we, we are the middle generation. It's a very interesting one. We are a caretaker generation. And caretaker uh -huh. means this. Our parents came into prominence very early. I told you, my, my dad was in power from his mid-20s, died in his 50s, but his, his colleagues were in power till they were in their 70s. So they lived long. We came in, found them in their positions of power. Now they're leaving very reluctantly, <laughs> leaving to us. And then we have other children. We, we have children who are in their late teens, in their 20s. They're coming up. And they're not going to give us time. We don't have time. We don't have the 30, 40, 50 years to enjoy as it were. So we are custodian generation. Our job is to get the baton from these guys, <laughs> tidy it up, and then hand it over to these other guys. And we have a space of 10 to 15 years to do that. Now, it, it feels very bad because I, I, a friend of mine was telling me, the chairman of the AFB, that we are the only generation who are talked to in the same way by our parents and our children. And the same way my parents dismissed me, <laughs> the way my children dismissed me. You know, there's a way I'd never dare talk to my parents, ever. 
At your dad, where did you come from? I, I'd die. <laughs> you understand? But my children asked me like that. Those are questions they asked me. And my parents asked me the very same thing when I came out from a disco. So it means we have an opportunity now to transition, to, to give our children the same opportunities that our parents had, which means that we have to be very careful with the transmission of a value system. We have to quantify what our values are. We have to be clear about what the culture we are trying to pass on is. And then we have to be deliberate about creating the opportunities for these children. And I say this emphatically because of what I was told. Like I told my parents passed on and my mom passed on soon after. So now I need to go to a lot of older people to come and to counsel me. So one of the things, one of the wisest things I, ever to, I was ever told by a Norman, he told me this. Structure your inheritance to suit the aspirations of your heirs, not yours. Structure an inheritance to suit the aspirations of your heirs, not yours. I should not attempt to live vicariously through my children. I should look at my children, understand how my children are, and if necessary, completely change the form of this family business to suit them. So that if this person, we are farmers, we are, I don't know what we are, we are all these things, and this is a football player, then we need to convert that estate into what will propel this person in his life as a football player and obviously give him the financial skills to survive even if he gets an injury. But he can invest himself in his passion. And it's a difficult one because that means that we now need to be able to let go. That if this business, like for, for me, it's a, it's a very strong emotional tie that I have to the farm, for instance, that I'm now having to, <clears throat> to, to remove myself from that emotional tie because my children feel nothing about it, begin to package it in such a way that we can hand it over to the next generation. And this is not just within the family business. That's what I was saying. It's a matter that we need to address because we're doing it on behalf of the country on behalf of our countries and on behalf of our continent. Because if we do not do that, we have a population, 75% of our population is under the age of 35. If we are not deliberate about transitioning them in that way and we try and allow them to do it for themselves, I think it will become a cropper. So that would be what I would do it. I would, do, I would focus on my children and their aspirations and recognize that I have 10 to 15 years max to structure this thing and ensure that when my children now get to their early 20s, they have the exact same opportunities to excel in their fields that my mom and my dad had, and then accept. Unfortunately, that I'll be the late bloomer. Nothing's, I'll never be the billionaire businessman. You know, I always thought I'd be a billionaire businessman by the time I'm 40. It's not going to happen. <laughs> done, it's done, but I'll give my children the opportunity to do that. Back to you, Siti. Well, wow, that's so powerful, sir. Um, Chinasta says in the comments, structure and inheritance to suit the aspirations of your is very powerful. It is indeed very powerful. Um, and whilst you were speaking, what was just coming to me is that this rising generation is a very distinct generation, particularly um, Gen Zs. A lot of our focus traditionally has been on millennials, but really a lot of the data is suggesting that Gen Zs are particularly distinct. And when we think about um, the cultural landscape as well, where a lot of Gen Zs and millennials are increasingly westernized, and you were speaking about the value system, how it's really important for parents to explicitly understand what value system they want to pass on to the next generation. Um, what are your thoughts on that, where 
it, for instance, in reality, a lot of founders and next generations are literally living in different worlds. They may be living in the same house, but they have completely different mindsets with regards to the values that they ascribe to, the culture, their cultural leanings. How can we ensure that essentially your, your, your statement on how do you structure the inheritance to suit the aspirations of the heirs, to actually appeal to them? Um, there was a recent study that showed that only 5% of next-gens are interested in working in the family business, and this was global. It would be interesting to see how that fits here in Africa. But given this cultural landscape where we have a lot of Western influence, particularly with the younger generation and this upcoming generation, what are your thoughts on how can we really engage the rising generation with family business, family wealth matters, so the family can truly collaborate? That's an excellent question, man. And it, it's, I don't have the answer because again, I'm, I'm in that generation. I haven't particularly succeeded with my own, my, my own children. I, I won't tell you what they think of me. We tried the, on, the whole online business uh, teaching you, brought, brought new insights. That the, the underlying issue is the issue about values. And, and I'll go back to it because the purpose of the transmission, the purpose of a succession process for a family business is not necessarily the business itself, but the transmission of values. Now, values, are, are they transcend generations. It doesn't matter. You can be Gen Z, you can be a millennial, whatever it is you are. A value system transcends a generation. Let, let me tell you. Like, I discovered our family values without being told. And this is the other challenge that we had as Africans. That you don't speak them. You leave them and you expect others to see them and assimilate them. Now, the problem with that is that, especially living in a country like Kenya, we, we will get the negative part of the value instead of the positive that, that is trying to be transmitted. And this is what I mean. My father was a policeman, I, I mentioned, and he headed a department. Now, the department he had headed in his later days was in charge of making uniforms for the entire government of the Republic of Kenya. This guy could have had new uniforms for himself every single day, and no one would have noticed, and no one would have done anything about it. But he'd wear uniforms until they were so worn out. I don't know, maybe you've never seen this city, but there's a way men's collars wear out, and then become threadbare. And when they become threadbare, then what you do is that you take it to a tailor, and the tailor turns and flips the collar over, so the underside becomes a top, and then it becomes a new shirt for all intents and purposes. So you always have the same clothes. I'm, yeah, I can see Siti looking at me. She has never seen that. People just go and buy a new shirt. So this guy wouldn't buy new clothes. He'd turn these over. So what he was trying to communicate is just conserving, conserving as a value system. That we, 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 not to treasure things. In Kikamba, to be don't waste stuff. And it transmitted in the sense that he wouldn't leave a tap running. He wouldn't, much as he wasn't paying the bill, he would not leave lights on. You don't leave a car running. You don't do things like those. So when we, but to us, the way it communicated is that he was a miser. That this guy, this, this man was just mean. In fact, in Kiswahili, you'd say, Mkonobirika. You know, <laughs> I don't know what phrase that would be. This is a mean miser who, has no sense of fun, he has he doesn't know how to live and he's depriving us of a good life. Now the people who weren't conservative with their wealth, unfortunately, and because like I said, I've had the opportunity to live long, didn't have wealth to pass on to their children. 
So the, the realization about that value system hit me later. When, when we talk about this dilemma of having to distribute property, oh, this is so much work. Then we discover other people are in poverty who were in the same positions my dad was, but who did not manage expenses. So the issue here is to agree on a value system, to quantify it, to state it, and then to leave it out. So for us, our value systems are three. The first one is economic solution. Leave other people's things alone. Whether you're a millennial, whatever it is, if this doesn't belong to you, leave it alone. Don't waste stuff. Don't waste it. And it happens for millennials. It's about relationships. It's about all these other things. And it transcends generations. And the third one is, for us, it's value, family. Love the people who are related to you. And that works. And if we do that, what will happen is that we begin to shape the business. And if the business doesn't fit into those value systems for those individuals, I would look for professional managers to run it, give my children shares, whatever it is, that allow them to live out those values in their own lives. And then if they ever chose not to be so attached to the business, that if my children chose to sell it, for instance, I wouldn't be heartbroken. That, I can let it pass. Let it fly. Have I answered your question? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so, so much once again, Dr. Peter. We have to wrap up this session in preparation for the next session and our final session for today. We'd like to just thank you for your time today and just request if you have any final thoughts or have any contact details or any ways that people can get hold of you if they want to further this discussion or would you like them to just get hold of you through ourselves? Oh, I think think you, you have my contact details, do you not? Yes, yes because I, I, I'd be glad if they went through you and I'd be delighted, I'd be honored to get any, 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 any inquiries. I'd, be, I'd love to get in touch on LinkedIn. I, I'm on LinkedIn. It would be great to get in touch. My closing comment would be this. If we manage our family business trans- trans- transitions properly as Africa, as a continent, we have the opportunity as family businesses to, pro- to propel Africa to move from the third world to the first world in that generation transition between me and my 20-year-old son. If I plan it properly, if I properly address them, if I properly spend time with them, if I properly train them, we have the opportunity to pull a Singapore move where you, you so prepare the next generation. And if we do that as a continent, so it will no longer be strife and, and discontent that we are deliberate about it. We can propel Africa from a third world continent into a first world continent in a generation. Absolutely, completely agree with you. And just to read final comments before we shut off this uh, section, we have a comment from um, Kavnish Kenneth. And he says, thank you for great insight from a, a fellow Kenyan here. Also, Chinasa, who's saying, structure your inheritance to suit the aspirations of your heirs. Very powerful. And Opie again, who's back and saying, that's right. Value system is transgenerational. Thank you so much, everyone who joined us. If we can just use our little emojis at the bottom, there, just clap for the doctor and say thank you so much once again for joining us today and for sharing such deep insights. We really appreciate you and look forward to engaging you on our platforms once again.